0: The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton. It is a cold and windy and rainy morning in Southern California, but I love it here. It's crazy out here. It's expensive out here, but I love it. Anyway, this show comes to you and goes all over the world, and uh, today I want to talk about um, something that you hardly ever hear talked about, and that is How do you build an anti-human trafficking task force? What is the anatomy of the task force? And what roles do people play? I think this is important because, you know, I've been in this business for eons, quite frankly. (laughs) I was just a child. Anyway, uh, and, you know, way back in 2010, nobody... Nobody was talking about it and uh, everybody thought we were kind of crazy and we're trying to figure out how to build a task force and who played what roles and, you know, who should be on a steering committee and who should be in the supporting committees and all of that kind of thing. Today, there are many uh, homegrown task forces, individual uh, law enforcement agencies have them. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a a simple vice uh, unit that is out of a uh, maybe a small town uh, kind of police department. So what I want to talk about is who should be part of a task force and what, what roles can they play? Uh, by the way, you can call into the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788, but only when it's live. If you're listening to that in archive, of course, it's way too late. And many, many people pick up this show in the archive version. But I have, uh, have had the privilege of working with many different groups across the United States. I got to work with the folks up in Priceless and Grace, Alaska and uh, just talked to them just the day before the earthquake up there and my heart really goes out to them and some folks in western Wyoming and just recently Lenexa, Kansas and Joplin, Missouri and all over the place and uh, I'm an instructor at the LA Fire Leadership Training Academy and that gives me A chance to meet people clear across the nation, because that's a national academy, even if it uses the word L.A. in it. And um, people ask me, you know, what roles do people play? So I want to get started. Uh, I am the training and outreach coordinator, and it's actually Million Kids. This show is brought to you by Million Kids, M-I-L-L-I-O-N. Um, it's called MillionKids.org because more than a million kids are trafficked each year throughout the world. We serve as the training and outreach coordinator for the Riverside County. That's Riverside, Southern California, Riverside County Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force. And I've been involved right from the get-go, even when it was first formed And uh, My role is training and outreach coordinator, so I have watched as various task forces, including our own, have matured. I am very, very prejudiced because I think we have the best one in the United States, but I'm sure that if you talk to the folks over in L.A. or New York or, you know, Dallas and others, they would tell you theirs is the best, and so that's how it goes. But we all have something in common. If you're a federal task force, and what I'm going to talk about is you don't have to be federally funded, you can just simply start to kind of cobble together groups of agencies that can work together. But if you are federally funded, there are two leading components. One of them is a law enforcement agency. In my case, it happens to be the Riverside County Sheriff Department. Uh, In LA's case, they have a task force that's driven by the and led by the L.A. County Sheriff Department, but they also have one that is led by LAPD, and then they've kind of made a joint task force out of it just because of their size. But you need a law enforcement component to lead it, and I'm that's, that is absolutely, hands down, no exception. That needs to be that way. The purpose of this is these are hard cases to make, Many of these cases are, uh, you know, multi, multi-city, multi-state cases, sometimes even multi-country. Um, but usually what will happen is they'll pick up a girl in a, let's say, here in Riverside County, and they'll, they'll take her over to L.A. County or maybe over to San Bernardino or on the way to Las Vegas. And so you have to have a law enforcement component that is the lead agency in your, in your geographic area. You also need a victim services provider. Now, for many of you that want to build small task forces, you may not yet have a safe house. And that is okay to start that way, but you need to have an agency that's coordinating placement in uh, safe houses, even if it's not right there in your own community. Because you must have a victim service provider and you must have a law enforcement agency. In our case, because we're the sheriff and we're in a very large county in our case, it's 7,200 square miles. It's huge. It's about the size of some states out there. And uh, we go all the way to the Arizona border and we're just 60 miles outside of of, um, Los Angeles. So, you know, that requires... uh, well, first of all, we have a big variety of the kinds of cases we might handle because of the nature of our location. Now, maybe you're considering this in a much smaller location, so you, you take that into consideration as I begin to talk about this. But what we've done is gone out to all the local police departments and signed an MOU, that is a Memorandum of Understanding. What we would really like to have had is one um law enforcement officer be assigned to the task force and even go along with us when we do joint kinds of exercises. But that isn't always possible because of budget constraints. All law enforcement have budget constraints, and that makes it even more challenging. But we sign these uh, MOU relationships because this is very important to understand how this works. You know, let's take a town like Hemet or Corona. Um, or even Riverside City, and they will have a case, and it'll look like, okay, I have one pimp and three girls. And so they go out after that case because it popped up in their jurisdiction under their command, and uh, and so they began to process the case. But where it's helpful is if they'll reach out to the task force. You see, law uh, these city PDs, they'll often get calls that the task force will never be aware of. Maybe a nine one one call. Sometimes sex trafficking starts out as a DV case, a domestic violence case, or you know uh, sometimes a, a nuisance case, as they're seeing. Uh, so what looks like um, public prostitution going on, and so a, a task force in our case, where we're federally funded, is not a nine one one emergency kind of task force. We systematically go behind the scenes, sometimes undercover, and build and do a lot of. Um, of uh, you know research, uh, crime analyst work, and build a case, and then you know we we get search warrants and we begin to search them out. So it's important that if your your task force is led by someone like the sheriff that you have, a sheriff, a local county sheriff, that you have the cooperation and collaboration of all the law enforcement agencies in your area, including, by the way, Highway Patrol. They're a big, big resource. And um, so it's it's always helpful to do that because these city agencies will get a 911 call. They'll start to see a case. They start to process it as human trafficking. And then it occurs to them, wait a minute, maybe this is just part of a much larger case. Pimps usually work together, and they usually have very large number of girls that are moving around. And so what they may see is the beginning of something very large. So if they're willing to work with the local task force, that case, they can they can get credit, they get the publicity, they get the support, but they also get the expertise and manpower of the Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force. And that way they can work together. They can then go back, meaning a local police department, can then go back to their regular work, but kept informed and work together as this case um, advances into a much larger situation. Now, what will happen in that case is that they will need victim services. So by contacting the the task force, one of the things that can happen here is because the task force is always a combination of law enforcement and victim services. It can help that local police department get the resources they need to help the victims be victims out there and get all the resources that a local police department may not have. So that's the beginning of how all of these are put together is uh, one lead agency in law enforcement, one lead agency in victim services, all working together with local law enforcement. In our case, because we're federal, we actually sign agreements between us and local law enforcement. So if you're a small town police department, obviously that's way too complex and sophisticated for what you're thinking. But maybe you put together a a, a coalition, a collaboration of two or three or four local police departments in your geographic area. Um, maybe there's small town police departments where you can maximize the training, maximize the resources, maximize the um, the safe house capability and the rehab capability that is out there. Now, in our task force, we also have two federal agencies, and this is really, really important. We work with them together and differently. Now, you and I both know, if you're in law enforcement, that the idea of having FBI and Homeland Security, you know, pal around together probably... Isn't going to happen. Okay. However, in our case, we have two ladies that represent their agencies and they get along really, really well. But I don't suggest that that is the norm. They are, by their very nature, sometimes competitive and uh, territorial, and, you know, they have different kinds of focuses. But for instance, federal FBI. They will come along and help you uh, in federal cases. And that's very important because here in Riverside, many of our cases, we're a origination area. We have a lot of uh, gang activity in our, our territories and uh, a lot of pimping and recruiting activities in our territory. So many times a case will start with us, but it will go on out to Los Angeles or Anchorage or Seattle or you know, we had one recently ended in Minnesota. So we're going to need that FBI component. They have the Innocence Lost Task Force. They often run these uh, national stings, and we can participate in those, so that we are part of that and um, and are able to realize the resources from them. Now, Homeland Security is a little bit different. They uh, they have internet crimes against children, which is. People don't realize how much uh, homeland security does in sex crimes. There is a, a lot of work being done there, and we rely heavily on homeland security here. Now, that's kind of a challenge because people think of homeland security as ICE, and we're not too far from a border, and we have some serious integration, immigration issues, so there's always a lot of dialogue going on about what role are they going to play. However, especially against crimes against children, they are absolutely excellent. They have tremendous training, tremendous software, tremendous expertise, tremendous um, uh, technical capability. And so when many of our cases start off with as a sextortion case, we're able to hand that off to ICAC, the internet crimes against children. Well, this first segment sure went fast. We are up against that break, so I'm going to ask you to stay with us, and we're going to be right back.
0: Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. You count. Tune into Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co hosted by Helen Hillocks, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: well, hello and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We are talking about the anatomy of an anti-human trafficking task force. So I want to pick right up and keep going because it's important that we get this all in in one day. And uh, I'm already using up my time here. Anyway, so you have a law enforcement component, in our case the sheriff, you have local police department, You and you also... Make sure that your highway patrol is trained. If you're around a port, you want to make sure that you interact with port authority. I went down to our local port. I was amazed really amazed at the amount of gang activity around that particular board. So you really want to make sure that's taken care of and everybody's trained on it. So you engage the FBI. You do an MOU with the FBI. You you have a collaboration. You also work with Homeland Security and you work with them together, but differently on each case. You, you take a look at the case and say, is this one better? Is that one better? But you also participate in their national um, Programs because they will often have national cases and run national uh, stings that you want to be a part of. Now, I want to talk about getting into um, prosecution next. And in, you'll want a relationship with the U.S. Attorney's Office and also your local district attorney. Your district attorney is really a powerhouse in this kind of fight. By the way, I just uh, spent some time up in San Luis Obispo, and Dan Dow up there is just amazing district attorney. Folks up there are just so lucky to have him. He's just a uh, great, great mindset our district attorney down here in uh, Riverside does a dynamite job, Mike Hestrin, and uh, and so it is important that you um, allow the district attorney to take a lead role. In our case, our district attorney's uh, office is big enough, they actually have the Family Justice Center, which they're not part of, but are housed there, so that they can do uh, intermediate kinds of victim service providers. Riverside's very fortunate in that we have six um, victim service providers in Riverside. One of the problems for me, though, is that many of my donors went over to support them because they all want to support a safe house. I'm like, wait a minute, what happened to prevention and intervention? That's important too. But anyway, um, you'll want to make sure that you're close to your DA. In our case, we have so many cases that the district attorney actually loaned us an investigator, and he sits right there in the building with the rest of it. You know, uh, we have the task force, um, law enforcement people. We have Homeland Security that has a place there, and and um, and home and uh, FBI, and they can come and go. We also have the DA. Um, investigator that is an active part of our team, uh, trains with them, goes places with them, and like that. It is very important that you are very close to your district attorney and that they take a lead role in all of this. Now, it does get a bit challenging because more and more the laws, especially in California, quite frankly, are not friendly to law enforcement. And uh, there's been a lot of challenges going on there in the legislative thing. There a lot of people you know, want to legislate law enforcement instead of legislating the perpetrator. And uh, that gets to be a challenge because we've ha- we had a law changed here in California, SB 1322, that many people celebrated. I wasn't one of them uh, because it makes dealing with minors so much more difficult. If a minor in California doesn't raise their hand and go into law enforcement and say, hey, I want to talk to you about sex trafficking, we can no longer detain her. And that, that was a very costly law. Um, apparently it was put in because there was some feeling that law enforcement was arresting victims, of minor victims. Uh, you know, we weren't, and I don't know of any in Southern California. Maybe they were in Northern California. Maybe they did it a long time ago, but I wasn't seeing that. But what has happened now is that literally gangs are preying on 17-year-olds because they know we can't touch them. Uh, you know, we can't bring them in and, uh, for anything to interrogate them, so therefore we can't protect them or find out who the other victims are and like that. So laws in California make it much more difficult to get a uh, charge in a sex trafficking case now. And so many of our cases are having to be taken federally. And that's very difficult because many times the girl's in the wind. You know, she isn't there. She isn't going to give you any collaborating information, that kind of thing. And it takes a couple of years to build a federal case, a lot of time and a lot of money. It's a lot more expensive to build a federal case just because of all that it takes to meet the criteria for feds. Now, usually when you get a a conviction, it's much longer. And uh, they have less chance of parole, especially in California. You know, it's kind of a revolving door right now of, uh, of how you you go in the prison and you and you even sex crimes are not considered to be violent crimes. So, you you really must have a relationship with U.S. Attorney's Office and the District Attorney's Office, and if you're big enough, ask them for a DA investigator to support you in that. Now, on top of it, you're going to need a, the victim service provider. Let's go into that. Well, before I go into that, let's keep talking a little bit more about probation. And uh, other law enforcement entities within a particular task force. In our case, probation is a main player in our business. And in fact, we have a probation officer that is CSEC trained, commercial sexual exploitation of child, that is CSEC trained and housed right in our task force. And this has been a real advancement in the last year. The people over there, uh, Laura Simonette and some of those people have put in protocols and developed curriculums and and we've all trained all the probation officers and they developed curriculum for um, juvenile hall on sex trafficking. We did that because... With SB 1322, we can't uh, anymore bring the girl in if she's under 18. So our thought there is we need to educate her every chance we get. Now, I personally educated many of the judges and the attorneys that are doing this. We have a girl's court so that the girl doesn't have to go out into a general court and be treated as a, a suspect, she can be the victim that she is, and so we have a judge that's trained in this, and uh, happens to be a female judge. And uh, in this case, we also uh, train all the all the other judges on there, and we have a specialized court for it. But it is important that probation play a big role because there's this revolving door effect that is going on there. And it's true also for your kids that are go in and out of juvenile hall. Many of these kids are repeat offenders. If you know anything about sex trafficking at all you, all, you know that often the recruitment is taking place within a juvenile hall or within a safe house. And I was just reading an interesting article today. I'm going to divert a minute. Uh, this headline here says, Part 3, The Opiate Epidemic Makes Sex Trafficking Harder to Combat, Harder to recover from. It's an article by Benjamin Shotman. It is in the Port City Daily. Again, part three the opiate epidemic makes sex trafficking harder to combat. And it was a fascinating article because they're saying how these traffickers and and this is nothing new to me, but it was fascinating to see it tied specifically to opiates that they go and prey on rehab centers because the person isn't rehabbed yet, the victim and they're easy prey. They can talk them into getting back out in the life and making the big money again and and you know not hanging around rehab, which is boring and painful. And so they're recruiting in there. It's just the same as they recruit in uh, probations and in juvenile hall. So it's very, very important that you get that probation department trained in how that works and um, and your judges and uh, and like that so that everybody understands their role. It also is very, very important that all of your social services be part of it and that they are trained. Now, we have over 5,000 social workers in Riverside County alone. We have a massive situation going here with foster kids and and group home kids. who have a lot of kids in group homes because there's just not enough foster places. And so you're going to have private agencies and you're going to have government agencies. But the first thing you need to do is, um, in some places it's called Department of Family Services or DCFS or that kind of thing you need to identify and create a social services steering committee for CSEC, commercial sexual exploitation of children. And so in our case, we have a CSEC steering committee. They are meeting actually this morning and they have their own little task force within us where they bring in all kinds of faith-based providers, uh, other safe houses that are out there, uh, other foster agencies that are there. So they're like a, Subcommittee to us, and we're like a subcommittee to them. We actually have eight social uh, services divisions. Every one of them has a CSEC specialist within that division, and so and we they are highly trained. And so, all the cases that come out of their division that might be a CSEC case goes to that specialist. And they can escalate it. They can follow it. They can analyze it. They can find resources for it. And they can talk to each other because these kids move around within different divisions of social services. And it's really easy for an at-risk kid who's being trafficked to drop through the crack as they're moving through various divisions of social services. So we have c specialists at every social services. We have a Sex specialist That is housed at our task force. So you're starting to get the idea. We have about 16 positions in our task force where people are housed with the officers themselves that actually go out on the crime and process a, a case. And we can bring them in. We always take a social worker with us whenever possible so that they can be on the scene, especially if it involves a foster child. Now, I've been talking in some of the training I'm doing at private uh, police departments. And if they can afford it, they also have a social worker that's on call so that when they're getting ready to go out and handle one of these cases, they can go with them. So we're already up against that darn break again. (laughs) It's amazing how long this takes. Anyway, stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: leaders and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America
0: T-R-N. You are listening to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to Opal at millionkids.org. That's OPAL at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited. Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This show is brought to you by Million Kids. I'd encourage you to follow Million Kids on Facebook and also uh just go on to Facebook and hit like. And if any of you want to help us pay for this show, we need donations. And that, there is no other way to say that. We cannot do this work. And all the education that we do, we've trained a quarter of a million people now. We've been involved in many cases where kids were either being violated or were almost violated. And so I appreciate each and every one of you that, ed, that uh, support our work and like that. And if you do want to have a training, I do, um, you know, when I travel, I ask you to pay expenses and that sort of thing. But I do come out and train and help uh, task forces build their task force. And, uh, and give them some supporting information thereafter. So I'd be glad to do that. So, okay, we're, we're saying we need uh, uh, law enforcement. We need a victim service provider. We need Homeland Security, FBI. You must have a good relationship with your DA, with your social services. That's very important. The reason why social services is so important, at least in our area, is that when a child has a sexual violation or exploitation that is reported through a school, then it goes directly to social services. That's how it usually starts. And what was happening when we were first building our task force is they would report a case of sex trafficking to social services That social services or uh, the safe house would decide, well, they don't want to talk to law enforcement. Well, we get that they don't want to do that. However, it is not doing anybody any favors to process a human trafficking case without law enforcement. All you're doing is accommodating the victim and nobody is doing anything to get the perpetrator or assist the other victims that are out there. And your victim may very well be part of a large-scale ring. So we developed new protocols, and part of the steering committee is that whenever anything is reported at a school, it's reported to social services to the CSEC specialist, the eight of them that are out there, And then it is simultaneously reported to law enforcement so that they can all work together. With that scenario now, most of our cases for the task force, and we have nearly 200 open cases, what is happening is there's a lot more cases that are actually being reported. We knew they were out there, but it was kind of like holding water in your hands. it would slip right through. And, you know, we would hear words that this had happened, but nobody is doing anything to make it a crime. And so it is absolutely important that in all cases that law enforcement play a role of this and that it's simultaneously reported. So that is why all of our... our uh, Social workers are trained. That is why we have CSEC specialists within social workers. We have a specialist that sits with our uh, task force, and uh, we also have c specialists at every major medical facility. It is important that all your medical facilities are trained, especially your emergency room personnel. Uh, they, this will look like a different crime to them. It might look like sexual assault. It might look like a drug overdose. It might look like a domestic violence case to them. And until they're trained, they may not realize they're looking at a sex trafficking case. So it is very important. In our case, we have a C sex specialist from our social services group assigned to every major medical facility. We also have the same thing under public health. We've trained all of our public health providers, and they have a public health c specialist at all their local medical clinics, so small clinics that are out there where they can, now they're not assigned permanently, but they go and they call on them. Um, they put uh, flyers and brochures in the clinics. Um, many of the times these these uh, victims are pregnant, And they show up in the system as being a pregnant teenager, and that pimp is drugging her, uh, moving her about, uh, threatening her, threatening her baby. And so it's very important that your public social services group is also trained. Whoever handles your pregnancy, whoever handles your rape crisis centers need to be trained in how this works. Uh, And yes, even, uh, you know, uh, your abortion places uh, need to be trained to recognize that this girl may be under duress when she's making this decision. And it may not be a decision she wants to make and that there might be a lot more going on. Obviously, your domestic violence uh, shelters need to be trained in there. Now, also, your Department of Mental Health. This is very, very important to do this. We have a very large Department of Mental Health. They got a beautiful grant. I'm jealous. (laughs) I wish I had that kind of money. Anyway, they actually have a mobile van that goes out to do counseling at various places. Now, keep in mind, you know, our county is huge, so that's one reason they do that, is to bring a mobile van to that area for the day. They also have a service dog to be able to work with some of these victims. They provide counseling not just to a victim, but they also to sextortion victims or uh, anyone that's at risk and to the family. And that is just ever so important. In our case, this uh, uh, group is run by a lady by the name of Diane, and she is just doing a dynamite job and, and being creative of what they're doing and how they train. But, you know, this is not a standalone crime. Families, the surrounding families, are having all kinds of problems if they if they have a 15 year old daughter they know is out in commercial sex they can't sleep at night they blame each other they blame themselves they look back they reflect they experience anger they experience depression they experience a uh, grief You know, at the loss, they may lash out or they, you know, and the girl may try to come back and forth and they don't know how to handle it. So, training your department of mental health is also very, very important in doing this. Now, I also suggest to you that you get all your drug rehab centers trained uh, for the very reason that I read in this article earlier. You know, they literally will recruit out of your drug rehab, your runaway centers, your Um, you know, centers for at-risk kids, your foster agencies, your independent living agencies. All of those people need to be trained, and they may not be a part of your immediate task force. The people that are part of our immediate task force are law enforcement, including FBI, Homeland Security, U.S. Attorney, District Attorney, Department of Labor, Office of Education, Victim Services, in my case, Training and Outreach, Probation, and Public Services and Mental Health, but then each of those need to spread out into sub. Uh, relationships. This is all part of your secondary collaboration, and in that case, that is your foster agencies, your faith-based community, your drug rehab centers, and like that. By the way, I also think that code enforcement should be a part of a task force. Now, I do a huge amount of code enforcement training throughout California, quite frankly. I believe they're absolutely critical. There are many times code enforcement gets into a building when law enforcement cannot. And there are many times they're already there seeing something. And we have had several cases where code enforcement has been an important player. So whether they're part of your primary team or your secondary team, code enforcement is very important. Another group that's very important to get trained in your task force is animal control, believe it or not. I've trained all of our animal control people uh, because they're out there. They're in the community, and what you will find in many cases is that animal control uh, will be called in on like a pit bull call or, you know, these guys often will use guard dogs. And, uh, and so that is an, an avenue. Now, they're not part of the immediate team, but they're part of the sub team. Another group that might be part of your immediate team is your alcohol beverage control group. Um, they because they're out there. They're in the bars. They're they're giving out licensing. They interact all the time. They see those B girls that are given the lap dances and and like that. So alcohol beverage control is another one that is is really really important in my opinion. Uh, I also want to talk about engaging the faith-based community. I think I still have time to do that. They're not part of your immediate task force. They're part of your collaboration that is out there. But, for instance, it's very important to be, in our case, where 51% of our county speaks another language, it is very important to have a good relationship with your diocese and Catholic charities. In many cases, especially if you're dealing with foreign national trafficking, you know these people won't trust law enforcement, but they will go to their charity, they will go to their faith base, they will go to their priest, and um, and so it's important that you involve the diocese and also your. Consulates, and they, and I will tell you that's kind of a love-hate relationship, they're not always real cooperative, they're fearful of deporting. Now, we've never deported anybody, but I get, you know, the immigration argument and the stuff that's going on at the border and the caravan and all the stuff that goes there. So, it is important to have a relationship, not necessarily an agreement, but a relationship with the consulate. And, you know, also, it's important to have availability of translators. And this is real important if you have foreign national trafficking, which most of us do, especially if you're dealing with Asian languages. You need to have a bank of people available out there that can provide those services because there are many different dialects within the Asian languages. Um, You know, Spanish, some also you see different dialects, depending if you're from Guatemala or from Mexico or one of the unique cultural uh, groups that are within the Mexican culture. And so you're going to need access and having a, you know, a relationship with translators. Well, somehow we had a technical glitch there. It must be this rainstorm in Southern California. We don't get them often, so the electronics decide to take a holiday, apparently. I'm not sure where it was cut off. The whole Skype went down, and uh, this is done over Skype. So I'm going to just kind of pick up and, uh, and go back a little bit. I, I was talking about the faith-based community, this is very important that you do that that you involve all faith in your organization. Now, they're not involved in the original and the main task force. They are supporting groups. When we have a task force meeting, we have multiple meetings. We have a case review meeting that is closed. I do not even go to the case review meetings. I do that by choice because I do a massive amount of public speaking, and it's very possible I would pick up some fact that I wasn't used to and uh And so I would uh, maybe repeat that, and I I wouldn't want to do that. So those case review meetings are actually – done in a way that is just law enforcement just probation like that then there's the the steering committee for the main task force and that is what i coordinate and that is the primary players in on the task force the, again you know uh, law enforcement fbi homeland security district attorney us attorney department of labor office of education victim services probation um, child protective services or DPSS public service, uh, your, your public health and mental health. And, um, Those are your primary people for the steering committee. Then we have another meeting that's called Protect and Prevent. And this is a meeting required by our grant, and it is open to the public. And in our case, we have them because we're so large in a county. We have them every month. Many of them will only have them every two months or every quarter. And this is a a meeting open to the public. And uh, usually the people who attend are people from specific schools, who want education, like uh, maybe head of their school counseling programs or like that, many of your faith-based people will come. Many of your at-risk organizations, meaning uh, organizations that serve at-risk kids, will come. Foster agencies will attend. These are the public groups that seroptimists will often uh, attend there. And as well as many of your government uh, organizations that don't participate in your regular MOU. And so that's important to do that. And I have speakers that I arrange. In our case, we have them every month and in different locations. I'm responsible for the one in Riverside and then Operation Safe House which is the victim service provider does the one out in the desert towards Palm Springs and then down Murrieta going towards San Diego because we're so spread out. Um, to give you an example of what kind of program, it's an hour and a half program. And what we basically do is is that uh, this time we're going to have as the speakers our district attorney investigator and one of the investigators from the task force, and we're going to talk about the anatomy of a of a sex trafficking investigation, how they get investigated, what they look for, uh, you know, how they take a case further down the line, how they expand it, how they deal with with gangs and like that. And speaking of that. Um, On your main task force, you also want, you may not have an MOU relationship, but you want a close collaboration between your law enforcement agency and their gang task force and their drug task force because, uh, as we all know, there is a huge uh, group that goes back and forth. In our case, my boss is very, very close to the gang task force because I think he came from it. I'm not sure, but uh, they talk every day. They sit uh, next to each other in an office, and so they they uh, talk back and forth. That's very important that you engage anybody that's uh, a specialized task force like that. Now, in uh, it, one of the reasons why we engage code enforcement is California has become one of those states where they're growing pot. And that a lot of that is regulated by code enforcement. Now, pot growing in itself doesn't mean human trafficking. It's legalized and like that. But what we're seeing is a lot of foreign nationals being brought in to work on those pot fields people from Laos and Vietnam and Cambodia and Guatemala in large numbers and they're out there in remote fields that only can be seen with drones and so you say to yourself when you have a foreign national in large number being brought in and then uh, you know put it put out in a remote location, out there and uh, in, in fields, and you don't know how they're being treated, that's a challenge. So that's another reason why you might be close to someone like code enforcement. We also work closely with our universities, for what it's worth. We have quite a few universities here. La Sierra is a, a seventh-day Adventist university. And and um, then we have uh, UCR has a medical school at UC Riverside. And so we work very closely, not only just for research, but also training and Cal Baptist. I just did this where we train all their nursing students that are there. That's real important to do that because you're raising and creating that next generation of frontline people who combat human trafficking. So we really need to have them trained. So as you can see, this has become very, very sophisticated. And um, one other group that I didn't address here that I need to address is... Um, uh, brain went blank I can't tell you which one it is right now um it was very important, too. I hate that when that happens, don't you? <laughs> anyway, anyway. so as you can see, we have the first tier of people who sign an agreement. We have the second tier of supporters. We have a first tier steering committee. We have a second tier public meeting. And all of these people need to be trained. Oh, I didn't address Department of Labor. I need to do that just to, to do that. We They are a part of our organization, and not just the Department of Labor, but also e DD economic development, that is very important in there because they're the ones that are out there in the buildings, seeing the businesses and seeing what might be human trafficking and labor trafficking. So that's another reason that we would want to, to uh, train them. So I remembered it. Anyway, this is the anatomy of a task force. If you have any questions, write to me at opal, O-P-A-L, at millionkids.org. I'd be happy to answer any specific questions. I'm always available to come and train your organization. Usually if I uh, travel, I come out and I do you know, first responders in the morning and social workers and licensed marriage family therapists. By the way, that's another group that needs desperately to be trained in your area so they know how to provide the right kinds of services to these people. And then I usually do a faith-based event in the evening before I leave town. And sometimes I do that for two straight days. And I'm getting old I gotta I gotta watch that sometimes you talk for 11 hours that's a lot anyway I hope this information is helpful to you if you have a specific question please contact me at opal at million Kids. we uh, this this kind of crime is the kind of crime that takes a lot of resources it's not like a home burglary where it's isolated in a certain place and it just takes place. There are many victims and many perpetrators and there are many different conditions doing different kinds of trafficking and moving people all over the U.S. So it's not easy to spot and it is not easy to build these crimes. Some of these cases we have, they have you know, 5,000 phone intercepts and 600,000 hours of building a crime. These crimes take a long time to build, and they take the collaboration of everybody. By the way, I also want to add in, if you have a tribal community in your area, please include them. You know, you may not be extra completely close, you won't be going on the reservation, but that ability to hand cases back and forth and to train each other is worth its weight and goal. Well, we have come to the end of our show here, and uh, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that sponsor this show, that send us money, that donate so we can keep doing this. If we can help you in any way whatsoever, we'd be glad to do it. My name is Opal Singleton. My email is opal at millionkids.org, and I hope you have a great week. Take care. Have a good week. Look out for each other out there.